Fellas, what's going on? Hope you're doing well. This is going to be the first of many solo casts I'll be doing. Today, I'll be doing a little bit of a Q&A from the Telegram group. You guys asked a bunch of great questions, and I'm just going to be answering them very casually in a podcast format. So let's go ahead and get started. If you guys have not joined the Health HQ Telegram chat already, I highly recommend you do so. I'll add a link into the bio. It is completely free, just where you can ask questions. We can have deeper discussions. I can send voice notes and all that good stuff. So let's get straight into it. Number one, what does your destimulation protocol look like? Great question. So every day I try to commit at least an hour to destimulating. We live in a highly stimulating environment, and I find it's difficult to do hard and boring things if I'm constantly scrolling social media and being exposed to high levels of stimulation. I mean, even with working out, you know, that's one level of stimulation, plus the loud music that I'm inevitably listening to, plus the stimulants that I'm on. So spending an hour for me, what that looks like is just going and taking a walk, no phone, just walking for an extended period of time. I let myself do whatever I want to do there. I'm not fully destimulating. So sometimes I'll go and I'll sit at a coffee shop. Other times I'll exercise, but I just will use no phone. And that seems to do it for me. Occasionally, I'll do a deeper destimulation where it's almost like a dopamine detox, even though that is a cliche trope. That looks more like me doing nothing at all, right? Just sitting. Sometimes I'll do it so deep where I'll try not even to read a book or anything. And I just find if I leverage that correctly, I can then go into that week or the rest of that day with a lot better focus and productivity and clarity, most importantly. So make sure that you taper back in if you do a dopamine detox or a destimulation session like that, and then you go immediately onto your phone, you're really not going to have those same benefits. So that's that. How is life in Mexico? I love it. I've been living in Mexico for over a year now. I obviously travel back to the States and to other countries as well, but I always end up back in Mexico. The reason that I moved to Mexico is I always wanted to be a foreign traveler. I always wanted to live life abroad. And I was at an age where I knew I had to do it because I was kind of reaching that age of peak neuroplasticity. Um, I moved when I was, when I just turned 23 uh, or yeah, I was 23. And I wanted to commit to learning a new language while my brain was still a little bit more plastic. Um, I find that new and novel environments are really effective for me reaching my peak performance and overall well-being. So constantly changing environments was huge for me. I love the culture in Mexico. It is highly convenient just because of the, it's really close to the United States. You know, I get to use my same phone service, everything like that. Um, the culture is incredible. The food is in incredible as well. There's a lot of biological and cultural diversity. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm a creature of novelty. So I will definitely be moving away from Mexico, but I always find myself coming back. It holds a special place in my heart. Raw milk, should I be drinking it? What should I be worried about? Is it good for bulking? Yes, raw milk is great for bulking. When I was on my raw milk grind, I get my raw milk from a farmer here. I gained a bunch of really solid mass. I look back at pictures of me from that time and I was just huge. I, it was incredible. So I recommend it. There are a few things that you have to be aware of. One, you may not be used to the bacteria in raw milk. So it might cause some gastrointestinal issues that you, you should be aware of. I highly recommend tapering into it. Don't go full out like I did and just consume, you know, gallons and gallons of raw milk a week. Start with a little bit and see how you tolerate it. Now, raw milk does contain the enzyme that breaks down lactose. It's the lactase enzyme. So that will be helpful if you have minor lactose intolerance, but it doesn't break it down all the way. So that's something to be considerate of. The reason that I stopped drinking raw milk was because I found that it gave me skin issues, which 
can't be correlated to the lactase or excuse me, the lactose. I think it has to do with the IGF-1 signaling. And overall, some people just have a stronger hormone sensitivity and a higher chance of substances like milk throwing their hormones out of balance. So I typically don't consume dairy. If I do, it's in very small amounts. And I prefer to do A2, A2 dairy. Uh, more importantly, I prefer goat or sheep's milk. But still, if I drink a lot of stuff, I'll have some skin issues. So I avoid it. Um, that includes things like whey protein. That includes things like colostrum. I found cheese and yogurt not to have as big of an effect. And there's a few stipulations as to why that might be the case. I think with the yogurt, the fermentation and the benefits of those culture, bacterial cultures may balance out the inflammatory response, but I don't know. Um, raw milk, if you can tolerate it, it's great. The growth factors and the enzymes in there are really incredible. I do think it's a superfood, but if you are having acne, I highly recommend the first thing that you cut out is the milk and dairy products. How can I break a sweet tooth? I am addicted to sugar. Uh, yeah, so sugar is highly addictive, right? Beside from the fact of whether or not it's good for you or not, we can go into that later, but sugar in and of itself has a very strong addiction feedback loop, if you call it. It's so energetically dense, right? Of course, we're going to seek out this incredibly energetically dense food that gives us this many calories like this easily. And if you think about what situations we were able to find sugar way back in the day, maybe trace amounts in blueberries, some tropical fruits, dairy as well, a little bit of sugar there. And other than that, you know, like what, trying to fight a hive of bees for some honey. So it was pretty rare. When we found it, we wanted to eat a lot of it. And there is, like I said, this feedback loop that when we get this sense of sugar, we're like, oh shit, I need more of this. Like I need to go find more. And it's gonna create a craving response. So remember that. And when going into it, what I would say is remind yourself it's going to suck. Like you signed up for this. If you want to break this sugar addiction, it is going to suck for a few days. Uh, embrace it. Know that it's a finite suckiness. If you can go five days of properly avoiding sugar, you're going to be way better off. And it's probably going to go away in terms of those unavoidable cravings. So go five days without eating sugar. You will reset that craving response. And the best way to do that is remind yourself that you only need willpower in certain areas, right? I don't need willpower to not eat sugar if I don't bring sugar at my house. Then the only times that I need that willpower are maybe when I'm at the cafe, right? Or when I'm at the grocery store. And I just got to remind myself that I am not going to buy sugar, like sugar products, right? I'm not going to buy Oreos. So I'm going to go to the grocery store, load it up on protein, right? So I don't have like impulse responses. And I'm going to remind myself that this is a finite situation where I need willpower. So it's going to motivize, motivate me to have that, I guess, willpower to not make those purchases. A good grant. Uh, another thing that you can do is find a different cue and rewire your craving response, right? So an example for me is I used to drink a lot of beer being in college and whatnot, and I wanted to quit beer. So I would be a guy who would have like casual light beer, um, but I didn't want it because of the alcohol. I wanted it because of the the habit of cracking open a can and having that carbonation. So every time I craved a beer, I just grabbed a LaCroix instead. And then eventually it completely rewired that response where I didn't even crave beer anymore. I just craved LaCroix or sparkling water. Same with potato chips. You know, I've had people that have been obsessed with potato chips. And in reality, what they were obsessed with was the sensory response of that crunch, right? The crunch and saltiness. So we found alternative crunchy, uh, crunchy, salty things, right? Like kale chips um for me like it was just crunchy carrots and cucumbers with salt so break down the craving identify what aspects you crave in particular and try to find alternative solutions that are healthier think of it as a cascade of better and better solutions
I have tight traps and scaps from a shoulder injury way back. What can I do about it? So if you have tightness in certain muscles around an injury point, that's likely a compensation by your body for a weak link in your chain, right? So if I have this shoulder, very complex joint here that has some form of in, in, injury and instability, I'm going to, my, my body's going to tighten up the muscles around it to add some sense of stability to it, right? So now that you're far away enough from the injury where you don't have to worry about necessarily re-injuring it in terms of it being still vulnerable, uh, it's more probably that it's just a weak muscle, excuse me, just like a, a weakness, right? A imbalance. So I can't give you a direct answer because I don't know the complexities of this shoulder injury. But the one thing that I'd recommend is look at refortifying and rebuilding the strength in that muscle while loosening up the traps and scraps. Topical magnesium oil is going to be a big factor there to help improve blood flow. And you're really just going to want to work on building the strength back up. That is going to reduce the tightness in your traps and scaps. So it's like a systemic weakness due to inactivity and inactivity and not full recovery. Um, so look for those corrective exercises. I will be having the combat therapist on in a week or so, and we will be discussing some shoulder rehab because that's something that I've dealt with as well. So stay tuned for that. I'm forced to sit 10 hours a day. It's really hard to be active. What can I do about it? Well, first of all, I'd ask yourself, are you really forced to sit 10 hours a day? Is there no leeway around here? I'm sure there is. And don't pigeonhole yourself into thinking that you actually have to sit 10 hours a day. Now, if you do have to be in one position for 10 hours a day, say behind a computer, optimize your workstation for movement, right? It's not a debate of sitting or standing. You really just want to be changing positions every 15 minutes. So go from sitting to standing to kneeling to pigeonholes, to stretching. So switch those around, um, find ways to make your environment more conducive to that. Maybe that means you get a standing desk, right? Maybe that means you use a chair that you can go up and down in. Um, also Pomodoro method works really well. I'm sure you can take breaks, even if that's one break an hour, but just go spend five minutes, do some squats, do some lunges, just get that blood flowing. I always keep a resistance band by my desk. So then I can be doing, you know, shoulder movements and stuff like that. And then also grip trainers are great, potentially a slant board as well. And take those micro breaks to get moving and stimulate blood flow. What is your preferred weight training method, i.e. reverse pyramid? Um, great question. I don't really have a preferred method. I like exploration and changing it up. I think that's the most important thing for me. Granted, you know, I've been training for 10 years, working off of 10 years of training experience. So I have this big repertoire that I can pull from. I switch it up, right? And at this point, my goal isn't peak hypertrophy. I would say back when I was doing peak hypertrophy, um, it was a lot of supersets because I had the muscle endurance for supersets and it was more effective. And I responded well to high volume training. Now, the only thing that I really focus on is progressive overload. Am I improving in the defined sets that I'm doing? I do less volume, higher intensity. So I'm really only going to be training for 45 minutes to an hour, you know, three to four times a week. But when I go in, like I'm doing it serious, I'm pushing myself on those reps because that's the way to grow. And that's how I can stimulate muscle growth without annihilating my muscles and impeding on my recovery. Additionally, I just find that I feel better. I look better and I perform better when I'm more intentional and serious. And I just go straight to the point, get it done and get out of there. I'm in my early 20s and I'm five foot seven, uh, but I want to be six three and increase my height more than my dad, who is six three. Um, I'm going to be honest, you know, if you're already in your early 20s, there's not much hope. If you are going to grow, you're going to grow. 
Uh, I don't think there's much that's in your control at that age. Focus on what you can control. Be real with yourself, right? Why not take that effort and energy that's wasted on you fixating on wanting to grow eight inches in your 20s? I Not going to happen. And put it towards improving areas that you can actually control, right? Why not improve your physique? Why, why not improve your skills? Why not improve your ability to articulate yourself? Why not improve your character? So I would focus on, focus on those, right? It's, it's a waste of mental energy. You're only going to be cucking yourself for all intents and purposes by fantasizing about wanting to gain eight inches in your 20s. Not saying it's not possible. You might be able to gain one or two inches, but that time is much better spent focusing on what you can control. So I changed that mindset, accept things for the way that they are and focus on what you can control. Uh, my eyebrows are inflamed and flaking. Um, there are some days that the skin under my beard has the same condition. I've noticed this gets worse when I sleep poorly. Any suggestions? So it sounds like seborrheic dermatitis. Uh, it's an autoimmune response, and it's oftentimes exacerbated by stress and immune stressors. So the best approach is to treat it as a gut issue, right? Uh, focus on the integrity of your gut lining. I would cut out uh, sources of glyphosate and atrazine, which I found to be the biggest factors impacting my gut. Those are pesticides. So careful what products you're consuming. Avoid processed flours and sugars and gluten and anything else that may potentially harm your gut. Um, focus on refortifying your gut wall with things like glutamine, colostrum, collagen, uh, glycine, which is in collagen, and then aloe vera, I found to be really nice as well. I would look at addressing potential fungal overgrowth. Uh, Malassezia is pretty common related to skin conditions like that. And that would potentially look like a fungal die-off protocol, making your gut and gastrointestinal system less inhabitable for fungus. That's a little bit deeper. That would require an entire conversation in and of itself, but treat it as a gut issue. Is there something wrong with ground beef? This was someone talking about some nuance between ground beef and lamb and stuff like that. I love ground beef. There is nothing wrong with ground beef whatsoever. It is probably my number one source of calories throughout the week. Um, in terms of getting high quality versus mid quality beef, yeah, opt for grass-fed, grass-finished if you can. If you cannot, maybe because of price point or just because of accessibility, opt for leaner cuts. If you are going to get something that's more like 80-20, try to cook out all of the fat, right? Because the fat is where any toxins are going to be stored. Now, ruminant animals like cattle are pretty good at removing toxins from their diet and not depositing it as much into their fat because they have like six stomachs, right? They're able to saturate this polyunsaturated fatty acids from their diet. But still, I would always opt for leaner cuts anyway, if you don't trust the meat source, and then just refortify with solid fats, right? So that's grass-fed, grass-finished ghee, tallow, butter, even olive oil and coconut oil are good options. Improving mitochondrial function, um, dietary athletic behaviors. I have sauna this week, so we're probably going to be maxing that. Always max the sauna. Yeah, so the, the mitochondria are really interesting. That's been a big focus of mine recently. And at the end of the day, a lot of the basic general suggestions of improving overall health are pretty highly correlated to improving mitochondrial health. And you have to understand that mitochondria are really important for all the energy production in our body. I'm talking like 90% of energy production coming from these mitochondria. And they're really unique. I mean, they were at one point bacteria that just found our cells and were like, hey, it would be cool to post up here and created this symbiotic relationship. So they really are their own organism. And if we treat them with respect and we give them what they need to perform well, they're going to reciprocate and give us what we need. So any health 
like general health suggestions usually correlate to mitochondrial health, right? Uh, so exercising regularly, that's going to be great for mitochondrial biogenesis, which is really important. <clears throat> it's going to improve the production of ATP uh, with oxidative phosphorylation. And that's really like, I guess it's like a stressor telling your body that you need to produce more ATP, no different than like building muscle or anything. That's usually how most biological functions work. You got to show that, hey, listen, this is a necessary function um, and there's stressors that require this to be optimized and then it'll do that. Nutrient rich diets are really important. I really like vitamin B1 um, because it's important for the enzymes for overall mitochondrial function. So make sure that you're just getting a nutrient dense diet. Um, animal based is really important in my opinion for those B vitamins, B6, B9, B12, B1 as well, obviously. Um, reducing oxidative stress is the big one, right? They're really susceptible to damage by free radicals. So pretty much anything that's going to cause oxidative stress, like smoking, um, like stress, like a shitty diet, that is going to negatively impact the function of your mitochondria and potentially even kill off and damage your mitochondria. On top of that, make sure that you're getting really solid antioxidants and promoting antioxidant production endogenously as well, right? That's going to fight against that oxidative stress, intermittent fasting has been shown to improve, uh, excuse me, improve the expression of antioxidant enzymes, but also improve my mitochondrial biogenesis. So do that as well. Uh, there is an upper limit threshold. So I wouldn't go crazy with intermittent fasting, it can have some negative impacts on your cortisol, sleep, obviously a big one. Uh, stress is a big one. Now you asked specifically about PQQ or Shilajit. Uh, those are great. Both of them are really great, uh, both because of their antioxidant properties. PQQ has been pretty heavily correlated with mitochondrial production. Um, it's a stimulates my, yeah, stimulates new mitochondrial growth. It activates a certain protein um, and it also protects cells from damage. I really like PQQ because it's co correlated with brain plasticity. Um, but I think the biggest thing that it does is it helps facilitate the transfer of electrons to your mitochondria and it creates that chemical gradient needed to produce ATP. So um, I don't know if I'd recommend supplementation for PQQ. I would really focus on the basics. You know, that's just across the board. Always do that. Other potential things to look at for mitochondrial function from a like compound ingredient standpoint is coenzyme Q10 and alpha lipoic acid. I would look at getting high quality beef heart or lamb heart or any rumen animal heart for that coenzyme Q10. It's really been uh, shown to be effective for that electron transport train chain I was talking about in terms of including improving mitochondrial function. On top of that, magnesium, highly, highly important. Now, Shilajit in particular, they have fulvic and humic acids, which have incredible uh, antioxidant activity. Also, they help with mitochondrial respiration, right? So if your mitochondria can have that electron, electron transfer be more effective, excuse me, electron transfer be more effective, tongue twisters here. If those electron transfers can be more effective, you're going to be able to produce more ATP. Um, that same PGC1 alpha protein is going to also help uh, improve uh, the new production of mitochondria. How can I heal acne and acne scars? So healing acne, that is a big one. First thing I would look at is identifying food sensitivities. I would start with an elimination diet and I would see what you can remove. Common culprits are things like eggs, peanuts, and nuts in general. Dairy is probably the biggest one and then refined sugars. Uh, second, I would look at improving your natural detox function and pathways, look at your lymphatic system and liver. 
Uh, third, improving your gut integrity, right? That goes back to what we we're talking about. If you have a leaky gut, that's going to be leaking things into your bloodstream. Um, reducing toxin load, that's particularly with heavy metals and parasites. And then obviously making sure that you have proper microbe activity in your intestines, right? Any bacterial overgrowth can also be a significant cause of acne. In terms of acne scars, topical iodine might be effective if they're relatively new. Derma rolling has proven to be really effective at stimulating new collagen synthesis. Topical retinol, vitamin C serums, and niacinamide are things I would look at. Be careful with retinol. It's a really potent synthetic form of vitamin A. Uh, it's going to make your skin very sensitive to sunlight. Chemical peels, maybe. I don't really do any chemical peels, but that's something I've heard to be pretty well to kind of break off that layer and, and stimulate a new cell, skin cell development, allegedly, but at the very least, help with that skin turnover. And then if it's really bad, look at laser resurfacing and maybe microdermabrasion, which is just a more intensive form of derma rolling, pretty much. Uh, back knee in particular, I would address the clothing that you're wearing, right? Your clothing and bedding, make sure that it's cotton. Polyester is proven to cause um, body acne. Uh, really get a solid exfoliator. So maybe that's just like a loof on a stick. Break up some of those dead skin cells. Uh, you probably have excess sebum production. Sebum production. So look into that as well. Um, sauna, sauna, sauna. That'll be a big one. What niacin brand do you recommend? Pure encapsulations. That's a pretty good one. Niacin is just a really simple B vitamin. So as long as you're getting it from a reputable source, you don't really have to pay a premium for it. Um, just make sure that they have a brand because at the end of the day, supplement brands are their insurance policy. They come out with a shitty product and they put their brand name behind it. And that gets out that it's a shitty product. That's going to be not good for business. So pure encapsulations or now. Chronic asthma. Anything I can do about it. I am by no means an expert in asthma, uh, but from what I've understood, it's likely from over sterility in your immune system during development, um, leading for leading your immune system to attack inconsequential compounds. Um, I really don't have an answer for you. Uh, maybe minor exposure to those contaminants in a controlled environment could be something that's possible. I've seen that used for treatment of certain allergens, but I will find a guest on it to have on the podcast because I know a lot of people struggle with asthma and allergies. How can I improve my LDL, HDL, 18% body fat? Um, let's see, where is it? Where is it? Cool. Yeah. Um, not HDL or high-ish. I live four times a week and I'm probably 17, 18% body fat. I think, uh, once again, I'm not an expert in cholesterol. It's not something that I've dug really deep into because I haven't personally had any issues with it. And most people my age don't either. Uh, 17, 18% body fat. I'd focus on lowering that body fat percentage, right? Get that down to 14%. Intermittent fasting might be something that's effective for you. I've seen that type of effect on triglycerides and potentially your LDL as well. Niacin I've seen to be a very effective tool, but I don't think that's going to be the end all be all solution. Um, reduce alcohol consumption. If you are consuming that and more cardiovascular activity, those are very basic suggestions. I don't think that is a conclusive protocol. Like I said, I'm not an expert in improving HDL and LDL markers or triglycerides for that matter, but something to look into. Easiest thing you can do is just lose, lose a little bit of weight, lose a little bit of body fat. What are your thoughts on chapstick? Um, I don't think chapstick's really necessary. I find oftentimes it just leads to your lips being more dehydrated long-term. Most chapstick has unnecessary ingredients that uh, one, do nothing, and two, potentially are a little bit irritating. Uh, topically, I would use tallow. That's the only skin moisturizer I use. Um, I would improve, focus on improving cellular hydration as well, right? Making sure that you're properly hydrated, not just from a liquid standpoint, but from an electrolyte standpoint as well. 
So that's what I would look into there. Um, ashwagandha effective dosage amount and time frame of cycling. I wouldn't use ashwagandha, right? It's just not worth it. A lot of people have issues with libido, anhedonia, and overall emotional blunting from it. If you're looking to increase testosterone, there's better compounds out there. They're going to do more for you. Shilji being one of them. So I can't even give you a recommendation. If you are taking ashwagandha, it's meant to be taken acutely. You're not supposed to take it every day. It's an adaptogen and it's going to really have significant impacts on your cortisol. You do not want to blunt natural cortisol production. So that's my final say. Do not use ashwagandha for a long period of time. Heavy metal detox guide or advice in the right direction. I highly recommend chick. I will be posting a podcast with Ben Samuels very soon here, and we'll be discussing the overview and correlation between heavy metal and minerals. Um, first and foremost, it's avoiding environments that may cause heavy metal toxin buildup, right? Make sure that you're getting your food and supplements from reputable sources. Make sure that you're not doing cardio, for example, on highways and stuff like that and inhaling um, thallium laced gasoline. I think it is inevitable to a certain extent that we are going to be exposed to heavy metals. Make sure that you're properly detoxing, right? Adequate liver function. Make sure that you're getting proper minerals from your diet and potentially supplementation as well. Um, heavy metals are very, like they mimic ionically the structure of minerals. So they will take the place of minerals in your body. If you are depleted of minerals, your body's more likely to pick up those heavy metals, right? I'd also look at parasites because parasites are carriers of heavy metals and they store up to 10 times their body weight in heavy metals. That's a very deep and nuanced discussion. I highly recommend you watch the podcast with Ben Samuels when it comes out. Are there hormonal benefits to the stimulation besides the creativity and mental health benefits? Well, technically speaking, hypothetically speaking, destimulation will probably lower your cortisol. And as we know, there's an inverse correlation between cortisol and testosterone, right? Uh, both of those hormones use cholesterol as their primary building block. So if you have really high cholesterol or cortisol, which comes from having high stress levels, right? Cortisol isn't stress. Stress causes high cortisol. So you have, you have a lot of stress, which causes your cortisol to raise. Your body needs more cholesterol to feed those, or to create that cortisol hormone. You're not going to have as much cortisol left over for testosterone. So you lower that cortisol, you'll have more cholesterol to build that testosterone. So um, that's probably the biggest one. And yeah, besides creativity and mental health benefits. Yeah, I'd say that. Protocol for after antibiotics, uh, B vitamins, particularly B1, mm, probiotics, obviously, potentially prebiotic fibers, colostrum, L-glutamine. A little deeper on things to improve immune health. I find myself getting sick quite a bit, but I also drink and party quite a bit. NAC. Well, you drink and party quite a bit. That's par for the course. Um, your sleep's probably ass as well from that. And your stress is probably high. So yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens when you drink and party quite a bit. I'd make sure that you are properly supplementing with B vitamins um, before and after going out. NAC could be good. NAC is a really powerful compound. So that might deplete your copper. Additionally, some people get anhedonia from NAC because uh, it has an effect on your dopamine reward response, which is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, man, you reap what you sow. If you're going to go out and party and drink, which is fine, you might not have as well functioning of an immune system. Make sure you're maxing out on vitamin C potential or preferably from natural sources, as well as zinc, 
those are going to be great for immune function. Maybe looking at glutathione for those really crazy nights, but um, find ways to party more effectively, I would say. Opinions on peptides. Yeah, so peptides are just chains of amino acids, right? So if an amino acid's a word, a peptide is a sentence. And if a peptide is a sentence, a polypeptide is a paragraph. They tell your body what to do. So I think peptides are really effective. I think they're going to be a big focus moving forward. But anything that's that powerful from a biological level is likely going to have effects that you can't anticipate. So I'd be careful with them. Um, you know, I wouldn't go and experiment with them willy-nilly. I'd be really clear on what you're doing them for and make sure that you're willing to risk that risk profile and understand that they're also new. So we don't know the full risk profile of these peptides, but I have personally found some of them to be relatively beneficial. And at the very least, they're very interesting. The most effective way to go about optimizing individual gut health on a budget. Yeah, well, the most effective way to optimize gut health on a budget is to do an elimination diet, right? It's free to cut out the things that are damaging your gut. So what's that going to look like? That's going to look like alcohol. That's going to look like pesticide-ridden food, right? That's going to look like potentially damaging fibers and gluten, right? So you cut those out, you'll be saving money. That's a big one. Um, it's probably, yeah, it's probably like the biggest one for sure. Um, it's just all about eliminating the proper stuff. Use that money that you're saving to spend on bone broth. Make your own bone broth, actually. So that's what I would do. Everything sleep, that's a very vague question. Uh, first thing I would focus on is avoiding blue light. Blue light's horrible for you. Um, I would also definitely invest in some magnesium glycinate. We're all magnesium deficient and magnesium glycinate's got a two for one benefit of improving your sleep. For me, it actually doubles to triples my deep sleep, but I have notoriously bad deep sleep. So that's why. Additionally, make sure that your room's cold, make sure that you're doing enough stuff in the day, make sure that you're aligning your circadian rhythm with the natural rise and fall of the sun. So make sure that you're getting sunlight first thing in the morning. Um, delaying caffeine intake in the morning is also pretty effective for me as well. Um, make sure that you're actually doing physical and mental exertion throughout the day. Uh, those are probably the biggest things. What is a good natural sunblock? Good natural sunblock is getting sunlight in the morning, priming your body to create a callus to the UV rays. I don't use sunblock and I'm someone who took Accutane. So I should be inevitably highly sensitive to the sun. Um, other than that, I would potentially look into coconut oil. It's got like SPF of eight, not going to do much, but at least it's going to keep you, uh, keep you bronze and hydrated. Zinc oxide is another option that you can look at. Um, but yeah, I'd focus on building that layer, getting early morning sunlight, really important. How, is, how important is the source for maca? That is a great question. Maca source is pretty important. The reason for that is maca is a cruciferous vegetable and it's highly susceptible to mold either in the production process or when it's already a powder. So preferably get gelatinized maca. Um, I'll actually be coming out with a maca product pretty soon here, which uses gelatinized maca. If you are going to be using powdered maca, which I use just because that's what I get, I just make sure to always boil it, right? So I turn it into a tea. I usually mix maca with shilajit and lion's mane. It's kind of just a, uh, I call it like an androgenic cocktail. I usually use it in the afternoons. It just helps me function better without the use for caffeine. So yeah, look for gelatinized maca. 
Are we supposed to boil the milk to kill any harmful bacteria? If present, do boil your raw A2 milk or consume it as is? Well, if you boil it, you are going to break down some of those enzymes and growth factors that make it so beneficial, as well as the bacteria that also make it beneficial. So I definitely have the belief that I want to expose myself to more beneficial and potentially harmful bacteria, uh, you know, the train theory. So I'm going to do that to improve my body's response and resilience to microbes. If you boil the milk, you might as well. Um, that is going to make it hypothetically safer in terms of microbes, but it also will remove some of those benefits. It's still better than pasteurized milk, though. So that's your answer there. Um, that's everything. I hope this was helpful, guys. Um, I will post this in a few minutes, and then we'll be good to go. Let's do this one soon again. Um, if I sound a little bit low energy, uh, it's cause I am, I just got done with food poisoning. So I've been bedridden for the last two days and I haven't been able to eat anything. So, um, brain's not functioning as well as it should be, but I hope this was beneficial. Nonetheless, Godspeed fellas. Have a good one.